So if I was starting today as a new solo, I would do entrepreneurial aspect. Change the way they're practicing. Leader, analyze. said they've done it earlier. help young lawyers. Starting a small firm. What it means to be fulfilled. Make it easy to work with your clients. New approach, new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap, making that leap. Welcome to another episode of New Solo on Legal Talk Network. I am your host, Adriana Linares. I'm pretty excited. I've been planning for this episode for a very long time. My guest is Adam Alexander. He's an IT and Microsoft Office and uh, Services Specialist. We have been gearing up for this episode by asking listeners to email, tweet, or somehow communicate questions about Microsoft 365 and all the Microsoft services for months. So we're finally ready to talk about it. And I'm, like I said, pretty excited to have Adam Alexander on today. Hi, Adam. Hey, how's it going? It's great. Tell us a little bit about yourself before I tell everyone how you and I know each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm Adam Alexander. I've uh, just been doing IT for probably 20 or so years. Started a company in 2011, doing small, medium size uh, business IT and specializing in hosted solutions. We've been doing this for a long, long time with those solutions before they were even like really a thing. And so I got lucky and preempted what kind of was coming up. So we, uh, we've been on it, I think. You have been on it and you and I have been working together for somewhere between eight and 10 years. So I don't do IT work. I do legal technology training and consulting. So when somebody wants to decommission a server or they got a virus, I can't and I don't help with that. Thankfully, thanks to a past client of mine who said, I have a great IT guy, you should connect with him. We connected, but right now, recording this podcast over Zoom with video, it's the first time you and I have ever even seen each other. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> funny. I mean, I was thinking about it. I think it was yesterday. I'm, I was getting, to, I was testing everything because I'm kind of, you know, paranoid about stuff like that, like the day of. So I'm testing the microphone, all that kind of stuff, and getting Zoom up. And I realized, like, I've known her, like you said, probably eight to ten years, and we've talked, you know, off and on for clients and all in email, all that kind of stuff. And I realized every time you've been to Orlando, we haven't had a chance uh-huh. to meet. And then, and then you're away doing meetings again, all that kind of stuff. And we're just talking on the phone and we've never done a Zoom meeting. Nope. So this is really the first time that we're actually seeing each other, which is pretty cool. It is. It's so nice to meet you in some yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. So what happened is this attorney said to me, I've got this great IT guy. I go, oh, okay, I need one. I need someone to recommend. So right then that whenever that was, I started referring you work that I didn't want to do or I don't want to do. And you are so responsive and so great, whether it's me texting you and saying, hey, I've got this attorney who's like really jammed. When do you think you could help them? Or it's a soft intro by email. You have helped so many attorneys. Now you're not dedicated just to legal, but you have a lot of legal clients, which I appreciate. So you're familiar with Clio and NetDocs, Microsoft 365, and a lot of the services that law firms use. So I want to thank you so much for always being so responsive reasonably priced. I've never had an attorney or a law firm call me back and say, that guy was overpriced. I've only gotten compliments about your service. And do you, how big is your team? So now we are three people full-time as far as IT goes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just steady, steady growth. I always say that you're, you're one of my best salespeople. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, and it, you know, it's great to know that, you know, of course everyone comes back and says, you know, gives us praise and, and, and everything. So you know, we're happy to help and, and enjoy it. 
you know, you mentioning that you're so happy to have an IT person that you can rely on. We're so happy that, I mean, everything I know about NetDocs, Clio, you know, Cosmolex is from you and being able to, <laughs> in, in a similar, you know, yeah thing is recommend you to our clients when they're ready to move on to what I would say is a better solution. Well, thank you. So we make a good team. I will say this and to you, it's a thank you, but it's something I want listeners to be aware of. You are one of the few IT people who pushes cloud services. I feel like a lot of IT people will not push Microsoft 365, will do crazy things like try to put servers in the cloud because they're likely going to make more money themselves right. for their company that way. I very much appreciate how you will say to me sometimes, oh, I've been trying to get them to go to Microsoft 365 forever. Not only is it just better for them, but it's more manageable for you. Right. Simplicity is the name of the game. And what I tell our clients is, if it's easier for you, it's going to be easier for us. Right. If, if you have a really complicated setup, you're going to call us more and we're going to dedicate more time to you, which creates less room for more clients. So that's always been the name of game is just, you know, keep it simple, stupid, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of the motto is, and so that's kind of how I came around to using, you know, drop way back in the day when 365 was pretty new, I would see file servers like, well, Dropbox is a file server. Why don't we do that? And people would look at me like, no, we need a server. Like, right. they would t <laughs> like the client would tell me like, no, we need a server. I'm like, I've actually... I might be tooting my own horn a little bit, but way back in the day, I've actually lost clients because I would tell them, no, yeah. like you're, you're hindering yourself by having to server. And they would kind of look at me like, no, that's not the right answer. And I, and I just kind of like, okay, I okay. Mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> you right. know, so. And sometimes it's fun to fire a client because they won't listen. Right. It's just not worth the stress. I want to get back to Microsoft 365. Thank God for what was Office 365 and is now renamed as Microsoft 365. I say all the time, it is the greatest gift given to small businesses ever. For sure. 100%. So, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> when you have Microsoft 365 and you have the $8 or $12 version, which is going to, what I'm talking about here are Microsoft 365 business packages. <laughs> There's a $6 package, which I never tell anybody to get because it doesn't allow you to actually download and install Word and Outlook on your computer, you would be using everything online. So that's never going right. to work for lawyers and law firms. So then your next two services up is Microsoft 365 Apps for Business, which is $8 a month, no exchange. And if you want Microsoft Exchange, then you're up at the $12.50. Right. So I'm going to assume that unless you're a true, true solo, and listeners, if you're a true, true solo, you might get away with the $8.25 a month. But if you're one attorney and a secretary and you want to be able to share calendars and contacts and have the same domain name and stuff, you're probably up at the $12.50 a month. So all of that lead up to say, when we are able to get rid of a server, you're replacing the email service with Exchange from Microsoft 365 in the cloud, and you get storage, which is the other thing you're using your server for, with Microsoft 365. Right. Okay. Yeah, so the twelve fifty a month plan includes email along with the software suite for Office, where the eight something dollar a month only does the software. So if you do need any kind of email, I would still say go to the twelve dollar fifty cents a month package. If you're just looking for the software, the eight dollar one is going to be fine, and then you can expand to that the the higher package later. Yeah, it's always good if you're going to be looking at email 
the 365 package is great. It, you know, it has extra security and everything else included with it. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because speaking of email and extra security, right now I'm getting a lot of attorneys asking me about being able to encrypt their emails. For me, traditionally and historically, email encryption has been a little bit hard because one of the things attorneys never want to do is create any friction in communicating with their clients. Oftentimes, and I hear this from attorneys, those emails end up in spam. So it's almost as if the emails are overly encrypted, which is not a real thing, but to where it's being flagged as this isn't a legit email because it's encrypted. Do you find that as well? It is funny because so three uh, Office 365 for the email side does have a package that can be it can be either an add-on package that includes encryption or you can buy a higher grade license that kind of is in the enterprise level that includes it. But it does the way I explain it to my clients is imagine if you've ever worked with a bank and they send you any kind of documentation you're going to get the email that you click on the attachment. It kind of looks like a fake email. It does. You click on the attachment and then it goes to a website and says, log in. That's kind of how I explain it to my clients because pretty much everyone has had to work with a bank at some point and has seen those emails. And the, the thing is really those banks is pretty much the same exact system. So they're, you're on the level, you can kind of think about it this way. You're on the level of what the banks use when you're using like an Office 365 encryption because they're using the same systems. They're using 365 or exchange servers on their end. So you're kind of on that level of being a bank as far as um, security with encrypted emails. The example that I always use is, have you refied on your mortgage lately? You don't do anything with mortgage companies that isn't encrypted or through a right. portal. So, okay. The last thing I want to mention about that is what you said, which is Microsoft does have an add-on service for providing you with that encrypted email service. So- yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I just want listeners to know you can talk to your IT person or, and I should have said this, you are based in central Florida, but you service clients all over the place. I've even sent right. you clients from San Diego and Iowa and you're, you're super helpful. So, okay. One more thing I want you to talk about, because if you had to count, which I don't think I can, how many law firms have I sent you who started with either Gmail or Google Workspace yep. and you had to convert them to Exchange and Microsoft 365? A lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's the primary location that they're coming from for the most part. And um, is that what I typically tell them? And I just want you to confirm or deny. It's easy for you to do because you've got the migration services and um, packages that Microsoft gives you to pull out of Gmail and bring it all in. It's not a $10,000 project to do something like no. that, correct? No, no, no. And you do it pretty quick, I think. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, as long as the information is there, as long as we have the logins for what we need, we can usually do it the same week, you know, that same weekend coming up. And typically people want to do this because they started with Gmail or they started with Google Workspace, which is the equivalent of Microsoft 365 from right. a, a Google world. And then they realize they're paying for two services, which I don't necessarily undo that every time I get a firm that's got Google Workspace and Microsoft 365, because if you've been used to it and you're using Gmail and Google for email, but you still, it can kind of work. But at the same time, keep it simple, stupid. Right. So if you're looking to streamline, you're going to want to move your Gmail email over to Exchange and Office 365. And I want everyone to hear out loud, you don't lose your emails, you don't lose your contacts, you don't lose your notes, and you don't use, lose your appointments. You're able to move everything. Yeah. And that's why it's important to have 
a good qualified IT company do it because yeah, you can go start a 365 account and have email, but getting the old email mm-hmm. and not just the email. Cause when you're talking about Gmail itself, if you're using Outlook, your contacts and calendars are kind of everywhere. So it, it gets a little muddy how, how the transition works, but there are ways to do every single possible outcome. So that's why it's, it's good to have someone that's seen, kind of seen it all and done it a million times. And done and it, which is what I appreciate has a process about you. Down. Yeah. yeah. That made me think of something, which is, and on top of the fact that you're moving for your email service provider, you're probably affecting your domain where your website is which is really another reason you want somebody who knows what they're doing to help you with this transition because you also don't want to bring down your website and you know get keep right. your email from working. Right. I'm going to ask you one last question just before we take a break because it's about that time. And that's the difference between a personal Microsoft 365 account and a business or work account. Can you just quickly explain the difference between the two? And I'll say this, it's okay to have both. Mm-hmm. You and I both agree that if you are a business person, you should have the business side for your business. But what's the difference right. between the two? So the personal account is usually going to be a lot of people start with the personal account because they just think, okay, I'm I'm a small law firm. I'm let's say like your example, I'm using Gmail. I just need some, you know, office software to install on a couple of computers. So they go, they they join the personal account, maybe start using a OneDrive that, that's included with it. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of where it stops. And so let's say now you've got five people and they all want to use OneDrive. Well, now you can't separate them and add, well, here's the financial stuff that I don't want the receptionist to see. All that's kind of out the window. Everyone has the same files all the time forever. And so the business account, you're getting into a per user setup to where the receptionist can have just the shared files for the company in her OneDrive where the owner can have financials and business, you know, critical information that's separate from everyone else. And so usually what I say is if you haven't started the process yet, start with a business license because you don't have to do this kind of thing in the background where you you start a business account, but you still have this personal account that's running your software. You know, if you Mm -hmm. start with a business account, you can do the software and add email later or add services later. And right. not have to do this whole dance with the the personal and business accounts Migrating and logins. And yeah. And like we had mentioned too, you know, a, as a business owner, it might benefit you to keep the personal account just for OneDrive and keep your, your mm-hmm. personal and your critical information on the personal one just to be sure absolutely that no one else can see it. That's what I do. So listeners, if you're Microsoft 365 users... Look in your system tray, which is the little area in Windows. And I don't think they're a different color on the Mac. I think they're the same color. But if you're a Windows user, look down in the system tray where the time and the, and the date is. If your cloud for Microsoft OneDrive is gray, that is a personal Microsoft 365 account. If it's blue, it's an, a business Office 365 account. Now, I have both. So I've got two little clouds. I actually have three clouds because... I also have a Microsoft 365 account for San Diego. So I actually have three different Microsoft accounts logged onto my one computer and on my Macs. This is not different. Cool little nerdy tip for you, Adam. I just learned that you can have only one personal Microsoft 365 account, but up to nine business ones on the same computer. Did you know that? I didn't. And that's actually really interesting. Isn't it? So, so, especially like like you're saying, you have all these different organizations you work mm-hmm. with. So you've got to keep them separate. That's perfect. I do. And so that means I have Outlook, 
but it has a mailbox for LawTech Partners, Adriana, and it has a mailbox for Adriana at San Diego. They're separate. Back to the personal versus business OneDrive. I keep all of Adriana Linares's files, mortgages, medical files, tax returns, all that in my personal. Everything related to LawTech Partners in my professional life that pays me is over in my business OneDrive account. I do that one for my mental sanity to not have folders next to each other where I might accidentally drop files from a client into my tax folder, but also for security purposes. So if I do get hacked, maybe only half my world gets hacked, not my whole world. Right. So, okay. Well, so far, so good. Let's take a quick break, listen to some messages from some sponsors, and I'm going to be right back with Adam Alexander. What traits are clients looking for most in a lawyer? According to 86% of surveyed clients, it's being responsive to questions. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer and resident at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends report. Research shows that the quicker a lawyer is in providing information to clients, the more positive the client experience will be. It's no surprise firms with growing revenue are 41% more likely to use client portals to quickly communicate with clients. These secure portals ensure clients always know the status of their case, resulting in a more transparent and client-centered experience. To learn more about what today's clients expect from their lawyers and how firms can meet those expectations, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. Okay, and we're back. I'm talking to Adam Alexander, my favorite IT guy on the planet. Adam, we just finished talking about kind of a general overview of Microsoft 365, why you want the services. We talked about OneDrive. I'm going to remind my listeners that when you have a business 365 account, you also get SharePoint. I did a whole episode just sort of talking about the difference between OneDrive and SharePoint. So you should go back and listen to that. SharePoint is not my favorite place for law firms to manage their files because you really need, I think, a SharePoint administrator. Adam, what's your experience in trying to implement SharePoint in small businesses that might not have a dedicated IT person? I know you're a big fan of Box, but they're also, you know, along the same lines as OneDrive. So what do you typically say when someone says, should we use SharePoint for managing our files? The main potential issue is, are you moving, let's say, a file server to SharePoint? If you're kind of just starting out, maybe you're a smaller firm, you don't have a boatload of, you know, 15 years of historical data and all that kind of stuff. At that point, yeah, SharePoint with OneDrive will will work for you. The main thing is if you've got a server with, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but it's it's pretty common. You know, you've got a server with 300,000 files on it in your shared drive that's not gonna work for SharePoint because SharePoint does have limitations. So in those instances, I would say, look at something like Box, something that's a dedicated, essentially a dedicated hosted file server. Um, And that's what they do and they don't do anything else. But otherwise SharePoint, OneDrive would be just fine. Last week I was doing some research for San Diego because we do use SharePoint at the Bar Association and people were emailing me that they couldn't get some files to synchronize or work right. And they were getting a, limitation on the file length. And I had to explain, and actually I went and looked up just to make sure I had it right, but just real quick, this is directly from Microsoft's site. There is a limit of 50,000 items that can be shared in any one folder, not all of SharePoint, but you know, you start creating folders. So there's a 50,000 item limit. And believe me, law firms hit that, right? (laughs) especially if they're bringing over, you know, files that 
they should not still have 10 years after the case is closed. But, you know, as I always say, lawyers like to keep a haystack in case they ever need a needle. Yeah. And then the other thing that can be hard about a service like SharePoint and, and OneDrive Online, you'll run into this limitation as well. And actually Windows, you'll run into this limitation. That is the file path. So yes. what you and I think of as a name of a file, draft agenda, to the computer, the name of the file is actually C colon users colon Adriana backslash. Every single letter. Every, yeah. Every letter counts. So it's the file path is the length. Right. And there are limitations with that too. So when you start embedding folders inside folders inside folders in SharePoint, you hit that limit faster. So like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I want everyone to know SharePoint can be good. You know how I feel about net documents. If you are a busy law firm and you're more than, even if you're a solo, I think the gold standard, the Cadillac mm -hmm. of document and email management is going to be net documents. But we can always make Microsoft 365 work. Right. Okay. <laughs> Now let's switch gears just a little bit. And these can be kind of quick hit answers. Adam, I'm a solo practitioner. I work either on my laptop or I work only on my laptop and a desktop. So maybe I have one or two computers. Do I need a VPN? Yes. <laughs> so going to that a little bit with a laptop, if you're on a desktop in your office, no. VPN, it won't serve any kind of purpose except to slow you down. Laptop, yes, because if you're working at Starbucks, now you're on an open network that everyone is on. And the thing is with the VPN, you can do a paid service like we've all seen, like NordVPN, those things. Or if you have a business router and someone that can set it up for you, you can do an encrypted VPN back to your work network for free. And it does the same purpose as far as doing a secured connection that no one can touch as, as far as like someone sitting, drinking coffee in Starbucks. So let me describe what a VPN is just real quick in case someone doesn't know. It stands for Virtual Private Network. We don't care what it stands for. What you care for is what it does, which is it will create, it's software. It can be hardware too, but it's often software, which creates a dedicated tunnel that is a secure communication channel between your computer and wherever you're sending data out into the world. Is that correct? Right. And that includes just surfing the web. It's literally everything that you're doing on your computer that is network, internet, anything. So if you, you know, you don't want to go to, to your bank account at Starbucks and you're on their public Wi-Fi, you know, make sure you're on a secure VPN, try to not go to your bank account when you're at Starbucks anyway. But, <laughs> but you know, if you're doing secure things like that, make sure you have VPN that that's where it's key to have it. Do I need to pay extra for a VPN or is the VPN the firewall that is on my windows machine and my Mac? You only need to pay for a VPN if you don't have a business router back at the office that you can connect to. That'd be the only time. Otherwise, you could have your IT person set up a VPN connection on your network at the office to use for free. So I have a lot of attorneys that don't have offices anymore and they gave them up during the pandemic and they're working from home. So what's the answer there? Then, yeah, look into a paid one, something like NordVPN or any of those, those kinds of, uh, the ones you see marketed a lot. Um, a big one is Nord. Though. N O R D VPN. Yes, yes. Do you yes. have any idea what that costs a year? Is it a hundred dollars a year or a thousand dollars a year? No, no, no. It, it's I don't know off the top of my head, but it is more towards the the hundred dollars, fifty dollars a year, or something like that. What about do I need more antivirus protection than what I get with Windows Defender, which is the built-in service from Windows for anti-malware, anti-spyware, antivirus? And same question for a Mac, because Macs, as we know, ha ha ha, Adam and I are going to have a good laugh about this, <laughs> air quotes, don't get viruses. Right. 
I have evidence contrary to that that statement, but <laughs> <laughs> um, hours, hours of evidence. Listeners, Adam and I are rolling our eyes right now because <laughs> not only do Max get viruses on occasion, but when they do, they are way meaner and harder to exercise than any virus on a Windows machine. Right. And actually, you know, the funny thing about that is, is because they don't have antivirus. So you have to manually go in and remove the virus instead of having an antivirus program that removes it for you. So the, you know, the irony of So it's almost like you need it more with a Mac because it's not built into the operating system while Windows has something, at least one layer built into the operating system. (laughs) So I'll tell you what I say to most attorneys, Adam, and you can tell me with your much more technical experience. You know, when I get maybe someone who's just bought a new laptop or they're a new solo and they're practicing at home and they say, do I need to get McAfee? I'll say, well, you can never have too much security. So the answer is, if you feel better getting it, please get it. It's not going to do any harm. But two, if you are a careful user and you're not gambling or, you know, visiting the dark web, you are probably going to be okay with Windows, but with Windows Defender. But again, you can never have too much. So what do you say when people ask you? if I need an extra layer of antivirus? I always say it's always, like you're saying, it's always better to have more, but you can actually have too much. Windows Defender is kind of a weird exception because it comes with Windows, it works with other antiviruses, but you can't do like McAfee and Norton and you know all these other ones E-set. because ESET, because they start, it's almost like they start scanning each other and your computer will almost just like crawl come to just a complete crawl and you're wondering why was because you have all these antiviruses that are caught up in each other and they don't know what to do. And so Windows Defender is great. Like, like you're mentioning, if you can control what you're clicking on, you're, you're totally safe. Otherwise, if you just want the peace and and security, then yeah, I would say pick one that, that works for you and go with that one. And I think too, maybe how and what you practice is a factor. You know, if you have a very transactional practice where you're getting a lot of documents from outside clients, like their financial documents, their emails, like, you know, we know that the average user is going to be even less sophisticated at controlling their files than a business person would. So I think that's another consideration to take in is what kind of practice do you have? Does anyone else ever use your computer? So, okay, but I like your tip a lot about not having too much. And I have certainly seen that where someone has malware bytes and yeah. ESET, and we can't figure out why to pop up to see the image of their check won't come up. You know, like, <laughs> right. okay. You know, that makes me think of something real quick. Obviously, there are still a lot of firms that have servers. I often try to explain that the biggest security risk and liability that they have is a physical server, an For on-prem sure. server. We say that, right? It's on-premises, sure. so it's right. sitting there. Can you explain why that is? Especially when it comes to email. Okay. So now all of your email for your company relies on your internet connection. So you should probably at least have a minimum of two internet connections coming in for backup. If you're going to have an on-prem server with email running it. Yeah. Like an on-prem, like exchange server. Now all of your email is tied to your internet connection and the power in your building. Plus it's tied to your server actually working. So if you have, now you're talking about, now we need server backups that can immediately run my server that just died because we can't be down is we're adding costs for internet. We're adding costs for backups. We're adding costs for having a server. Plus your managed service IT provider is going to charge you usually two to three times per month for a server, what a desktop will cost. 
So now you're looking at probably $250 to $350 a month just to have a server where all that cost can go away. All of the liability on you goes away just by using something like 365. And so that's why that's one thing I will, I will gladly lose $250 a month plus the cost of the backup to not have to deal with a server and, and the liability and the potential of a client calling us saying, Hey, all of our stuff is down now. What are we going to do about it? That's where it gets into what's easier for you is probably even 10 times easier for us. You know, we're not going to get some six in the morning call that the file server is down or the exchange server, you know, so that's, that's kind of where my head's at with it. I really want to hug you for that. And then <laughs> too, can you just explain too that ransomware loves looking for physical connections to computers and servers? And that's another major risk that you can have with servers. Yes. And your desktops too, but let's just start with something like a server where most of your files are kept. For sure. So that's exactly, that's another liability issue. So let's say you open an email, you click on the link, you, it looks like a FedEx email, whatever you click on the link, you kind of go through the process. It's going to download ransomware in the background. You're not going to know it. And as it's doing that, it encrypts everything it can touch on your, on your actual desktop computer or laptop. And then it'll, it's going to search for network drives. So your map drives, the ones that are like S drive and Z drive and all of those, right? So it's going to start searching for those. And as soon as it finds one, it's going to encrypt everything it can touch on that drive, which is going to be essentially encrypting your entire server. And it could be, if you're using something like PC law, let's say, and PC law is usually drive P mm -hmm. it's going to, it's going to say, Hey, drive P I don't care what you are. I'm just going to encrypt whatever file I can touch. So now all of your PC law or, or whatever software you're using is now encrypted. And so after it finally finishes all of that and says, okay, there's nothing else that I can find. Then it pops up the window saying, okay, you've got 72 hours to pay us, et cetera. And so that's another good reason to not have anything on site. You know, if you're using Clio, there's no Clio on site to encrypt. It can't touch a website. It can't, it can't get to that, you know, can't external jump. access. What I always say is a, a ransomware can't jump from your hard drive into a cloud-based service that is storing your files for you. Is that Perfect. accurate? Yeah, for okay. sure. Okay. Yeah. So it can only touch physical files, quote unquote, physical, right? Right. Digitally physical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Digitally uh, physical files that are on your hard drive. That's the only thing that it can find and that it can actually change. Okay. And so then you're, then you're talking about downtime. Hopefully you have a backup. If you don't have a backup, then you're really in trouble. But even if you do have a backup, how many hours is that going to take to restore, delete all the encryption, restore, you know, down, you know, down. You're talking hours and a lot of time. And yeah. if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you have heard me say, when your IT person says, don't worry, we have a backup, you need to take two hours out of your day. You need to go sit with them and you need to say to them, show me how we recover files. And you For don't sure. want to do that when there's a problem. You want to <laughs> test your backups ahead of time. Right. So you can reduce that stress, that potential risk by just not needing backups, which I think is a whole nother conversation. You're probably going to have to come back on a regular so we can cover all <laughs> of our topics. But I've got a few more questions for you, Adam. So let's take a quick break, listen to some messages from some sponsors, and we'll be right back. Starting your solo practice is exciting, rewarding, and demanding. Alps Insurance understands the unique challenges of startup solo firms. 65% of Alps legal malpractice insurance policyholders are solos, after all. That's why Alps created First Flight, a program supporting new solos by providing affordable, premium pricing for the first three years of practice. 
Visit alpsinsurance.com forward slash insurance forward slash first flight to learn more. Or just Google Alps First Flight. You'll find them. First flight program subject to eligibility requirements. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based and also ongoing work via subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile devices to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code NEWSOLO when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Yes, yes, you have a website, but do you love it? Does it grow your practice? It should look good, it should work for you, and it should be built by people who care. Practice Made Perfect loves making websites for solos, just starting out or market leaders, and their clients love their websites. PMP's average client has been with them for over six years. PMP is perfect for your website. Practice Made Perfect. Visit pmpmg.com forward slash solo. And here we go with question number three in this series of new insights. Jennifer Townsend has a question for Jennifer Thomas. My dad keeps saying, I'm a dinosaur. I don't need to learn anything new. How do I convince him that he's not too old or too settled to learn new skills that will improve the way we work together? (laughs) My dad says this too. He, He seems to think that his head is so full of things that if he learns something new, he'll lose something else. And I have to remind him that old dogs can learn new tricks. And I have to be deferential to his level of comfort and to his experience. And, you know, we have such a opportunity and really the luxury of like Westlaw and LexisNexis and be able to look up a case or Google it super fast when he was plowing through, I don't want to say first reporters because he'll kill me, but maybe second. And they, he had so much in his brain, all those people, all those cases, all those depositions, all those exhibits that weren't computerized. They were in boxes that were in semi-trucks. So there's a lot of information in there. And I understand his fear to lose any of it because it's worked for him. So I think you have to be really realistic about what you expect him to learn. For example, hashtags, not going to happen for my dad ever. He also calls them pounds, like instead of hashtags. And he calls LinkedIn, LinkedIn, bless his heart. But teaching him how to sort through his Outlook email box by client or by case name has saved him a lot of time where he might have before just tried to scroll down. So it's about optimizing his experience, optimizing his time. Optimizing his time means you value his time. And again, be patient with your, with your elders. I, when we started Zoom depositions a couple years ago, I had to sit through a number of depositions with my dad to help him share a screen so that he could share exhibits because the double monitors and the screens, and it was just, it was a lot. And, you know, he's an incredible litigator, but trying to figure out how to share a screen was just a little bit too much for him at the time. He's got it now, but be patient. And when you can no longer be patient, I would say just do it for him. 
All right, we're back. This is uh, my last chance with Adam. Uh, I'm asking him a couple more questions about, they're technical. This is a nice technical episode, but I, I appreciate it. I did have one of my favorite attorneys who's actually been a guest on New Solo, but I won't out him during this question. Just a quick question that I want to make sure and answer for him, which is he and his assistant are using OneDrive, not SharePoint. Adam and I applaud you for that. <laughs> DB, you know who you are. So you wrote uh, your assistant and you use OneDrive, not SharePoint, and it seems to be working extremely well. Great. Don't change it. Right. It's simple. We have one primary folder called such and such law. Then we have two folders, one for operations and then one for clients, which has all our client files. He's the owner of the law folder, but his assistant does have permission to it. So he had to grant her permissions to that folder because it was in his OneDrive. And remember, go back and listen to our previous episode about how you share stuff out of OneDrive. We don't have anything else anywhere else. She has access to everything that she should have access to. I get your analogy about the filing cabinet in the hallway as opposed to a filing cabinet in your office, but the way we're doing seems to work. Are we missing something? Is our system going to blow up in our face down the road? <laughs> no. I think you're in really good shape. Yeah. And so in this example, they're using two personal OneDrive accounts. Is that what's going on? Well, his is the main he has created three folders in it, one called yeah. law, one called operations, one called clients. He has shared clients and law with right, her right. because she doesn't need to see anything that's in operations. And that's a fine way to do it. Yeah, that's perfect. And so I guess I was wondering if it's a personal account because if, if it's two personal accounts to do that no. or a business account. They're both Microsoft 365 for business. So gotcha. she, and you know, that is a quick difference I want to make. We have discussed personal Microsoft 365 accounts versus business 365 accounts. Mm -hmm. right. What can get confusing is inside of business 365, each person does get their own personal OneDrive, right. but consider it personal for work, meaning this is where I put my drafts. I'm the legal assistant. This is where I put mailing labels. This is where I put forms. This is where I put a check request because he's never going to need it or right. she's never going to need it. So you do have a personal OneDrive inside of your Microsoft for Business 365 account. Each person gets their own OneDrive, a terabyte of space. And then you also get SharePoint that the whole firm shares an allotted amount of storage. So it can definitely be confusing. Right. And in this case too, when the first when the topic first came up, I maybe I misheard and I thought you mentioned that he had a personal account. And the reason why I was saying that is because in a personal account, he would not be able to go into the folders and share them. So they would essentially see all the same folders all the time, no matter what. And so that's a huge benefit of doing the business Office 365 account is he can pick and choose what she sees on top of her personal OneDrive where she stores what she wants. So that's that's a huge benefit. Back to your original piece of advice, which is always start with business, yes. even if you're a solo, just get the business version. You never know when you're going to hire somebody. And so- And they always do. You yep. know, you, they start to get busy and then they're like, I got to hire someone. How, what do I do? And, and then it's a migration process of getting exactly. everything out of personal Microsoft 365. That's business and moving it. So just do the right thing right. from the start. Um, <laughs> follow a question, which we can answer very quickly, but I do feel like this is a good question because a lot of people ask me this. When you put OneDrive on your computer and you go to look at File Explorer, there's a column that says status. And in that status column, you will either have a hollow green check mark 
a solid green check mark or a little cloud. And the question is, what is the difference between those um, status icons? One is downloaded. One is in a cloud. So what's a hollow? The hollow one is where you recently used it and it's keeping it on there, I think temporarily, and eventually it turns it back into the cloud and pushes it out. Okay. When it's the cloud, that means that file or that folder is stored only on the cloud in OneDrive. It is not on your personal hard drive. But of course, the beauty in OneDrive Box, which I know you like a lot, Adam, and Dropbox, is they now have what they call, or at least Dropbox does, so I'll use their term you know, globally, selective sync, which is right. I might have 100 folders. I don't need all 100 folders on my hard drive. One, maybe my hard drive isn't big enough. But two, remember, when you have files locally, you are increasing your risk by keeping it on your hard drive. So the more stuff you're able to keep in the cloud, the better. So the little blue cloud means online only. These files don't take up space on your device. They download as you use them. Then there's the hollow check mark, which is it's on this device. When you open a file, it downloads to your device. So you can edit it in case your internet goes down. So you've got it locally, or maybe you're on an airplane. And then once you close the file, it puts it back only in the cloud. So the hollow green check mark is kind of like a middle state. It's here now, but it's probably going to go back. That's kind of like the check in, check out sort of process from, you're right. Okay. Yep. And then when it's green, it's always available. And that means you right click on a folder or a file and you say, make it always available, which means it's always on my hard drive. So I keep my LaTeX partners files always on my hard drive in case the internet goes down, but I don't keep tax files, mortgage documents. I don't need those every right. as often. So anyway, that's the difference between those those three little icons. And all of that in, in any kind of business account, doesn't matter which one of these sync programs you use, they can be administered to where you can prevent people from saving offline. And as, let's say, the company owner, that could be important because if you have to let someone go, all of mm-hmm. the stuff is in the cloud and they don't have access to anything. As soon as you change their password, they don't have access. So if you if they if they can download the files onto their computer, even if you let them go and lock them out of their account, it's on their computer. Right. And so it's just another le- level of security. The downside is, like Adriana mentioned, is if it's only in the cloud, you're essentially downloading and uploading the document every time you open it. So that's that would be the downside of it. And you're beholden to the internet at that point because if right. your internet yeah. blips or goes out, which you know, honestly, thankfully, most of us probably rarely use our lose our internet connection anymore. But of course, yeah. it happens at the worst time. The last thing I'm going to ask you about, you just gave me the perfect segue because I just learned about this. And that is a service, a new service from Microsoft. Okay, everybody, clear your brain right now because I'm (laughs) just about to confuse it even more. We had Office 365, which was when it first started, was really just giving you the Office apps, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook. Maybe you got Publisher with it and Exchange. And then they turned it into Microsoft 365, which is this wonderful suite of products that gives you Teams and Sway and bookings and all kinds of good stuff. So there's Microsoft 365, which is a suite of software services. I just heard on Windows Central, Adam, about Windows 365. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, this could be amazing for some law firms and wish we had had it when the pandemic started. Can you describe, and I know it's kind of new, so I don't expect you to be a full-blown expert on this, but can you describe what Windows 365 is? It's actually, the concept has been around for a while, and this is Microsoft's version of it, where 
you essentially have a hosted desktop on Microsoft servers. So you don't have to use your laptop, your desktop to access your software. A lot of us have used remote servers. Like let's say even in the past, yeah. right? You're working remotely, your company has a server in the office and you remote into the server. It's the same thing, but it's desktops and everyone has their own remote desktop that they log into and it's set up for that individual. And so it's what I think is a very specific use case. So let's say you are hiring people and as common practices now, people work remotely and you can hire anyone in anywhere in the nation, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you're in Orlando, you wanna hire someone in California, you can just have them use their personal laptop and remote into the Windows 365 a virtual desktop that's in the Microsoft data centers. The benefit to that is there's no connection between their personal laptop that their kids use and the remote desktop that they're using. And so it's still secure, it's still safe. If they get a virus on their laptop, the actual work data is still safe. You don't have to worry about them downloading, like, like we've talked about this whole episode, OneDrive and things mm -hmm. like that, that doesn't have to go onto their personal laptop or their email for that matter. It just keeps everything separate. And what's been common practice before now, and even now, is a lot of these companies that hire remote workers, they buy a laptop, they send them a, a, a secured business laptop with a monitor and a keyboard and mouse. That's pretty common practice actually. Mm -hmm. And in this case, you wouldn't have to upfront that expense. You just start up a Windows 365 virtual desktop, say here's your login for it, and they go right to it right away. So it's literally, Windows. Okay, everybody, yeah. think of Windows in a subscription way right? out there in the cloud. And then you would layer your Microsoft 365 account right on top of it. So you would log into this Windows machine that's desktop. And there are profiles. Like you would, you know, go to Chrome and then go to office.com and log into this Windows 365 machine. And right. it would have its own version of Excel and Word and Outlook completely separate and apart from your hard drive. So this is complicated, I know, but I wanted to mention it because I just think it sounds so great for some of these law firms that do have remote workers. It's a little expensive. You know, the cost of a laptop, if you're going to buy a really high-end laptop, is probably $1,200. We know that's right. what a, a Mac will cost. This service Apart from the $12 that we've been talking about for Microsoft 365, I think it's $40 a month. Yeah, it's right around there. 40 or 45 for the the, the entry-level Windows Windows yeah. de virtual desktop. And they also, that's another thing too, is that's like the entry-level specs, right? Right. So then they have upgraded virtual desktops for the people who are going to have 32 Chrome tabs open and 45 Adobe documents open at the same time. So you're going to want a higher-end a desktop for that, which would cost a little bit more per month, maybe $65 per month for like a, a higher, higher end one. So, you know, that's kind of good too, because you can kind of purchase the desktop use case. You know, it's not just everyone gets $65 and that's it. You can kind of tailor right. it to the person in their role and go from there too. The basic starts at $31 a month. Okay. You get two V like Victor CPU, virtual CPUs. Okay, so you get right. two, two virtual CPUs, four gigabytes of RAM, and 128 gigabytes of storage. That's so you probably- can imagine, four gigabytes of memory is like you've opened two tabs in Chrome. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and you've got Outlook open. Outlook running. And you're done. <laughs> oh, yeah. and by the way, like every lawyer and legal assistant on the planet 
18 Word documents open and yeah. 42 emails open, <laughs> yeah. this is not going to do it. So no. now we're at the $40 a month, which is probably why you and I both thought you get the two CPUs, which is fine. Eight gigs of RAM, which to me is still not awesome, but it's better than four. Right. Same amount of storage. And then even at $66 a month, you're getting only only 16 RAMs because I'm a 32 RAM or don't even look at me user. <laughs> yeah. But for most law firms, I, I think the $41 would probably be fine. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, virtuals, virtualization and, and that technology is a whole can of worms conversation that can take up a whole podcast. Yeah. No, it's I really agree. difficult to wrap your head around how it works. So eight, eight gigabytes on a virtual computer is kind of like more than eight gigabytes on an actual oh. laptop in front of you. It's kind of hard to explain, but basically you're not, the eight gigabytes isn't dedicated to also running your hardware. If that kind of makes sense in a way. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. If I've got eight gigs on my laptop right here, it's also running not just my software, but literally the hard drive. It's helping me access file. And, and you're right, when it's virtual, it's different. So I think 41 would do it. If you've got a law firm, let's say you've got a law firm with 10 people and they're all local in your office, you're better off just buying them laptops, right? It's a one-time upfront fee. Also going into using hosted solutions, using Clio, NetDocs, Office mm -hmm. 365, OneDrive. Most law firms have three hosted programs. They have a hosted file solution like OneDrive. They've got Office 365 for email and Office 365 also for the software. It's all one package, right? And then one, hopefully they have one hosted case management software, which is just a website, Yeah. right? So setting up a new computer these days- So easy. Is, is so easy. Oh. It's 30, 30 minutes, your new user is set up and they're ready. The old days where you've got servers, you've got all these things. Yeah, it might take an hour, hour and a half to set up a new user. And now it's like this whole process, yada, yada, yada. But now spend $1,000 on a really good Windows laptop, 30 minutes, they're up and running. There's no real super benefit to having that Windows 365. But if you've got remote users around the nation, it makes a lot of sense at that point. So I'm going to put a challenge out there. If there's a listener who hears this and thinks this sounds interesting, you're the use case. You're an attorney in San Diego. You want to work with a, an assistant in San Francisco. And this sounds like a good idea. Call Adam. Yeah. And yeah, let's wait, do it. And and let's then let's do an episode on it and how it went and have them tell us how it worked out. And then you can tell us how it was setting it up and all that. I think that would be awesome. So if there's anyone out there that's interested, please contact Adam, which puts me in a great place to say thank you, Adam, so much for coming on. And I think this is a longer episode than most of mine are, but I've appreciated the conversation. So make sure to tell everyone how they can get a hold of you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, this has been super fun. My email address is alexander at internetworkit.com. And you can also reach me by phone at 321-300-6383, extension 101. And we'd definitely be happy to hear from anyone and, and everyone and, and you know just keep helping people out. Adam, can you tell us a little bit about your pricing structure if one of our listeners want to reach out and work with you? It's 175 an hour for project work. The perfect example of a project are the email migrations that you send to us for Office 365 that we do all the time for you all. We're so happy to help out there. For the day-to-day -day ongoing IT services, it is per computer. So as much as I hate being the person that says, call us for a quote that we don't just give out pricing, it's not about not giving out pricing. It's just that 
we need to know how many computers you have, how many servers, things like that. But it is very quick to get out pricing to anyone that that's interested. So please feel free to call us, email, um, and we'll get right back to you. And, you know, we're, we're more than happy to help. And then the other thing I'm going to ask you is, will you come back? Oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. This is awesome. So let's put this out there again. If this conversation has sparked more conversations about the technical side of running your law firm. And I think, Adam, you and I are both probably a little more techie than just having to stick to Microsoft. Sure. So if you right. have other questions about I'm doing this and I'm not sure where do I get this or that, and it's a little more on the technical side, send me a tweet. And my Twitter handle is my first name and my last initial, Adriana L. Or you can send an email to newsolo at legaltalknetwork.com. I get all of those. And one last question, and this one's for you listeners, because Adam and I do not have an answer. Someone wrote in and asked, are there any SharePoint add-ins that make email filing easy? So if you're a user who's using SharePoint at your firm and figured out a way to quickly file emails from Outlook, I'm assuming, into a relevant SharePoint space or folder, please send me a note at newsolo at legaltalknetwork.com. Thank you so much, Adam, yeah. for your time. It's been great. Thank you always for being such a, a great IT referral for me and for clients. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And same for you. I mean, it's always good to have resources like you. I mean, it's so critical to, to everything we do. So Yeah, it takes a vineyard. It, it does. It really does. <laughs> all sorts of grapes of all shapes and sizes. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this somewhat long, but um, helpful podcast, interesting and useful to you. And see you next time on another episode of New Solo. I've been running from nine to five. Been biting my tongue for all this time. Won't let anyone cut me short. I was thinking this was the way to go And you put up your puppet show I say cheers to life Just leave me alone I'm running the show The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.